Okay, now I'm gonna preface what I'm about to say with this comment. I don't think this is how this happens, but I want you to imagine something with me, if you would. Okay, let's just imagine that you were to die today. The lighthearted imagination, huh? You were to die today and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? I wanna give you just a second to think about it. What would be your initial response to him? Over probably 20 years of my first 20 years of ministry, I worked with Campus Crusade for Christ or crew, and I had the opportunity to talk with hundreds and hundreds of college students and ask them this question. Because it's a great way to understand how are people thinking about God? How are they thinking about eternity? Let me just tell you this. I didn't do an official poll on how people responded, but I would tell you this. Most of the people that responded to that question, the first two words out of their mouth were these two words, I tried, dot, dot, dot. And then what would come after that is some kind of an explanation of what they would imagine would be the kind of good life that God would look at and say, yes, absolutely, you are deserving of the kingdom. Sometimes they would talk about this idea of, of good and bad. You know, did, did my good things outweigh my bad? Sometimes they would say things like, I wasn't perfect, but they knew that there was something. They hadn't done everything right. I wasn't perfect, but dot, dot, dot. I did my best to dot, dot, dot. I never did this dot, dot, dot. What does this reveal about people? In my mind, I imagine that people are thinking out there somewhere that there is this spectrum, this scale that starts on one side is really, really bad and on the other end is really, really good. And somewhere in the middle is this place where God is going to draw the line. This is good enough to get into my kingdom. This is not good enough. And people are out there thinking, man, I hope God curves the final. I really want to get in. But what I experienced is that with so many people, there was just so much uncertainty. Kind of a, I'm crossing my fingers, I'm hoping behind my back that in the end, I'll make it. But the question that we're asking is, what is God's standard? What is it that he expects of me? And in the end, if I am to stand before God, how is it that he is gonna evaluate me? I tried dot, dot, dot. My daughter sent me this video. And I feel like I've got to show this to you because this is this little boy that tries his hardest. I am not gonna spill my juice. Let's watch this video together. Apples. This one for me. Uh-oh. I gotta clean that. I won't build it. Uh-oh, I built.
I never know what to do with our church that laughs at the misfortunes of others. You know, then that gives us a good gut laugh. But when I saw that video, it kind of just reminded me of my own life. I've tried, I've tried, I'm gonna do more, I'm gonna try harder. But you know what, life is slippery and we fall down on our back sometimes. And we don't do everything, even that we want to do. So even in our best efforts, we don't get there. What are God's standards? What does God expect of me? Now you've got to understand that we're not the first people on the planet to wonder this question before God. And as we step into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address this question for us. And now you need to understand the audience, again, that Jesus is talking to. His audience is his closest disciples, these men and women that are following him very closely, Jewish background, and a large crowd of people, predominantly Jewish background. So when they are asked the question, or they start to think about what are God's standards, their mind immediately goes back to the Old Testament and the law of Moses, the 10 commandments and all the other commandments that were given to Moses. And they're asking themselves, are those the standards that I'm gonna be measured by. And here's what you need to know about them. As they think about this idea that that is how God would measure them, this is what it would feel like emotionally for them. (sighs) Heavy, weighed down. They're thinking there is no way that I can accomplish that. But as we step into the next four verses of the Sermon on the Mount, these are some of the most important verses because Jesus talks about the Old Testament and the law of Moses. And he's gonna answer a couple of things for us. One is he's gonna help us understand what is his relationship to the Old Testament and the law of Moses. But he's also gonna explain for us, if we're gonna be a follower of his, what is our relationship to the Old Testament and the law of Moses? And what Jesus unpacks right here is what many have called the thesis or the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. And if we're gonna understand the Sermon on the Mount, if we're gonna understand in some ways the Bible as a whole, we've got to understand these four verses. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 17. Jesus says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Part of what makes this text so important is that Jesus talks about this idea of righteousness. What does it mean for us to be right with God? What does it mean for us to meet his standards? But it's also helpful for us 
Because Jesus uses this text to shine the light on two important things. What is the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What is the relationship between the law of Moses and this gospel that Jesus has been preaching? And there's three important questions that this text raises for us. And these questions are in your notes. And they're these. Why would people think that Jesus had come to abolish the law? How is it that Jesus fulfills or accomplishes the purpose of the law? And what is this better, greater righteousness that Jesus expects? Here's the first question. Why would people think that Jesus had come to abolish the law? And we've just got to understand that Jesus is not going to ask questions that people aren't asking. But here's what he says in verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. See, Jesus knows that there's questions that are being raised about him. Because he's out there talking about his kingdom, this upside down kingdom, and it's different. It's different from the things that they've heard from the Pharisees and the religious leaders that they've heard up until this time. It is completely upside down in some ways. Now, exactly why they were thinking that Jesus came to abolish the law, we don't know. But some of the things that it might be is that when Jesus was asked simply, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law of Moses. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second commandment is like it. Like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says if, if you get those two right, all the law of Moses, hang on those. You get those two right, you'll be fine with everything else. And as people hear that, they're starting to wonder, it seems like he's not taking the law as seriously as we do. Is Jesus trying to lower the bar of the law? It sounds different. Now, this is just the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, but he's also trying to do, he's doing some things that are outside the box of what they've always known to be inside the box of the law of Moses. There's things that are happening on the Sabbath. His disciples are going out and they're, they're picking grain. They're like, uh-uh-uh. That is not okay, according to the law of Moses. He's doing things like healing people on the Sabbath. And they're going, uh-uh-uh, that isn't how we've done things. That is definitely outside the box. This Jesus, he's undercutting the law of Moses. But if there's one thing that caused them to think Jesus isn't about the law was how he talked and how he taught one of the things that was said about him over and over and over again is he teaches like one with authority. See, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, when they talked about the law of Moses, they held it up very, very high. They would never think of putting themselves over the law of Moses. They would just simply interpret the law of Moses or they would interpret those who would come before them as teachers of the law and how they interpreted it. That's how they talked about the law. But when Jesus talked about the law, he started saying things that were completely different from anything they had ever heard before. When he would bring out a teaching, he wouldn't quote somebody else. He would say things like, truly, truly, I say to you. He spoke with his own authority. He spoke in his own power. He pointed to the law of Moses, but he spoke with his own authority. 
And not only authority about the law of Moses, when he spoke, things happened. When he spoke, people were healed. Brokenness physically was gone. When Jesus spoke, demons fled. Lives were transformed. They could tell this guy has authority. And when this sermon closes, the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of the things as the crowd is breaking away that they're just saying, this is different. He teaches as one with authority. And Jesus is setting them up. He's not trying to put himself up over the law of Moses because the next section, the last half of Matthew chapter five, Jesus starts to talk about his authority as it relates to the law of Moses. He's gonna say over and over, you have heard it said, meaning you have heard it said in the law of Moses, but I say to you. They knew this cat is teaching in a different way. He has his own authority. Is he trying to undercut the law? Is he trying to put himself over the law? Jesus answers their question emphatically. Again, I'm gonna read verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. But then he says this. No, I come to accomplish their purpose. Meaning that I came to fulfill them. I came to complete them. Here's the question that's going on in people's mind as they hear Jesus say this. How is it that Jesus fulfills and accomplishes the purpose of the law? I want us to pause just a second for observation. This is what we need to understand about this passage of scripture. This is probably one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible that helps us think about how we read our entire Bible. Because Jesus at this place, he's making a connection between him and the Old Testament scriptures. What he's saying is that the entire Old Testament, and just the, the short way of saying that when Jesus says the law and the prophets, that's just a shorthand way of saying all of the Old Testament. What he is saying is that all of that Old Testament, it points to me. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus as Messiah is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So as Jesus is looking at the Old Testament, he's not thinking about it in terms of, I want to destroy that, or I want it to be a discontinuity with me. He's actually thinking about continuity. He's thinking about completion. Everything there points to me. I am the fulfillment of those things. And that's where we've got to understand here in the 21st century, as we read our Bible, we've got to understand it is an arc of one story, one story that starts in the beginning with creation. God intended to create people that would have a relationship with him, but we barely get started. Man and woman says, I want to do it. We want to do it ourselves. Thank you very much. We got this. And that relationship that connection with God was broken. But then God starts a redemptive plan through the nation of Israel. I'm gonna call a people to myself. I'm gonna bless them and they are gonna be a blessing to the world around me. And through them, I'm gonna bring the Mashiach, the Messiah that's gonna come. And that's where we find Jesus in this story. Jesus as the Messiah. But then that's not the end of the story either because there's a new season that begins when Jesus leaves. It's the church age where Jesus starts this movement 
of those who have bowed their knee to him and said, we're gonna follow you wherever you go. And it's about his church building the kingdom. That's where we're at right now. Jesus is pulling people together with him that are gonna build this upside down kingdom with him here on earth. And then ultimately we'll get to the place where there's the restoration of all things, where Jesus makes everything new again. And everyone that's bowed their knee to him will spend eternity with him. So as Jesus is trying to make, understand as he stands where he's at in that arc of the story and he's looking back at the Old Testament, he's saying, I am not trying to destroy that. That is pointing to me. He's saying, when when you go back here and you look at the moral law of God, it is pointing to me. I am the only one that will fulfill the moral law of God. I will fulfill it perfectly. The moral law of God points to me. And he's saying, the prophets, especially the predictive prophecy about me. I am the Messiah. All of that Old Testament, all of the prophets, they point to me. I am the fulfillment of that. When you look back at the Old Testament and you see those pages of the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws, Jesus is saying, that's pointing to me. I am gonna be the ultimate sacrifice. But it's not gonna be a priest that brings a lamb that sheds blood for the nation for one year. I'm gonna be the ultimate sacrifice. I am gonna be the priest and the lamb. I'm gonna be the mediator between God, but I am gonna be the sacrifice. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Whenever we read our Old Testament, as Bible thinkers, as Bible readers, we say, how does this point to Jesus? Because everything there points to him. But then, in these four little verses, Jesus drops a bomb. He drops a bomb and he lays down what some would call the central or the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It hit them like a ton of bricks. They had to be asking the question, what is this better, greater righteousness that Jesus is expecting of us? This was the place in Jesus' sermon where he got their attention. You know, maybe up until this point, they were on their notes page and they were just kind of doodling. You know, their their notes page maybe was becoming a grocery list or a to-do list for the afternoon. I know that never happens here because I am so riveting. None of you ever do that. No, I know you do. We see the papers behind. We know, what, we know what you're writing sometimes. But that audience, this got their attention because something in them would say, oh no, you're, you're, you're telling me that my righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And and the expression that Jesus uses there, it's not like just just a little bit greater. You just gotta get over what they're doing a little bit. It's like it's, it's infinitely greater than that, way beyond what they've experienced. And someone sitting in that audience would be like, that can't be. I look at what they do and I think that is impossible. How can I be expected to do something even greater than that? I mean, these guys 
All day long, they're thinking about the 248 commands of God, and they're doing everything in their power to do all of it. They're thinking about the 365 prohibitions in the law of Moses, and they're thinking, I'm not going to do any of those. They're working hard at it. It was their master life goal. In fact, they were so into it that if there was a line here that was drawn in the law of Moses, they would make other rules that would keep them from even getting close to the line because they didn't want to break it. They wanted to meet God's standards. So you just have people sitting out in this audience and they're thinking, man, I just want to cover myself up with my tunic. I can't accomplish this. I want to hide. How can I have a better righteousness? Because what Jesus said is it's better than the Pharisees and the religious teachers, and I think that's impossible. So he's asking something that's even beyond what I think is impossible. How can I find? What is this better righteousness, Jesus, that you're talking about? There's two things about the righteousness that Jesus is talking about that is very different and greater than what the Pharisees were about. And the first reason is this. It is a righteousness of the heart. It's about things that are happening in here. When we look at the Pharisees and their kind of righteousness, it was more about conforming to external rules. But God doesn't say, that's not what I'm about. That's not the, I want to know about your heart. I want to see the things in you that nobody else can see. I want you to be responsive to that. He talks about motives. Motives. It's not just what you do, it's why you do it. Jesus is raising the bar. Because you see, the Pharisees, they were just content for this external and formal obedience, conforming to the letter of the law. Just do enough to keep inside the letter of the law. But Jesus says, what I'm calling you to, what God calls you to is way more radical than that. Because if that's what he wanted, this is what would have happened. Jesus would have told this crowd, look at these people. They're the goal. They're the ones that you need to imitate. Do what they do. They're the example. But Jesus doesn't do that with the Pharisees, does he? He actually does the exact opposite. When he talked about the Pharisees, he gave an example one time of what they were like that was very, very different. He said, this is what the Pharisees are like. They're like these people that they spend all their time polishing the outside of the cup. They want everything to look good. They want everyone to think everything is great. But when you actually look on the inside, it's just dark and gross. He said on the outside, it's like a, it's like a whitewashed tomb. It looks beautiful, but you open it up and you look inside, it's full of death, dead men's bones. This is what Jesus talks about when he talks about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But when he talks about his kingdom and his kingdom righteousness, he talks about something that's very different. It's not someone that just polishes on the outside. It's someone that is clean on the inside. It's not about covering things up that are happening inside. It's about being transparent and authentic, letting God shine his light into us, letting other people see it. This is the kind of kingdom righteousness that Jesus is talking about. And I just think we've got to get to the place, friends, where we ask the question, what kind of cup are we? 
Am I a cup that's just thinking about the outside? Or I am a cup that is thinking about being transparent and authentic before God and before people. What kind of cup are we? And I want to just prepare you for what's going to happen in the Sermon on the Mount. Because this is the kind of heart kingdom cup that Jesus is looking for. Over the next section of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is over and over again. He's going to talk about not the religious law, but he's going to talk about the things that are happening in our heart. What is happening in our heart beyond what the law says? And friends, I hope in some way that there's something in you right now that is saying, if that's what God wants, this kind of openness before him and this transparency with people so that God and others can see into my heart, I hope something in you says, that doesn't make me feel very good. I hope that something in you says, I don't know that I want people to see my heart. Because Bob, if I'm really honest about my heart day in and day out, honestly, it kind of looks a little bit more like this. That's why we've got to understand that there is a better righteousness that isn't just about the heart, but it's better because it is a righteousness, friends, that doesn't come from us. It is a righteousness that comes from him. It's not a righteousness that is empowered or earned by us. It is a righteousness that is earned and empowered by him. Way back in the Old Testament, remember we said it at the very beginning, the Old Testament, it is always pointing back to Jesus. In the book of Ezekiel, they talk about this new covenant that God was gonna make with his people. Something that he was gonna do to make them clean, to make the cup clean. This is what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36. And here's what you've got to hear. God is the one who does this. God is the one who accomplishes this. Listen to how many times it says I in this text. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. God is saying, I will do it. I will clean the cup. It's not about you trying to figure out how to clean the cup. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. This heart righteousness that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, God is gonna give us that heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that, with this result, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God is saying, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna put my spirit in you And that's what's gonna transform you from the inside out. It's not a new way of earning, it's a new way of living in response to what God has done for us. He's the one who changes us from the inside out. The Apostle Paul explains the magnitude of how Jesus is the one who accomplishes this for us. 
This prophecy, this new covenant prophecy from Ezekiel 36, it is accomplished in Jesus. And Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Sometimes this text of scripture is called the great exchange. And this is what it says. It starts out by saying, God made him who had no sin. Talking about Jesus. Perfectly kept the moral law of God. No guilt, no shame, no sin. But it says, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us. Remember back in the Old Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament sacrifices. But this wasn't gonna be about a priest taking a lamb to be slaughtered and his blood shed. This was about us being able to bring our sin before him. And Jesus took upon himself our sin. God made him who knew no sin. He had no sin, but he became a sin offering for us. Jesus, again, he was the priest and the sacrifice. He was the mediator between God and us, but he also became the sacrifice. He shed his blood so that our sin could be taken upon him. Amazing, right? That's not all. That's only half of the story and it's only half of the verse. Paul says, so that in him, meaning in Christ, in relationship with him, we might become the righteousness of God. Not only did Jesus say, I am gonna take your sin, your brokenness, your dirtiness, I'm gonna take it upon myself, the penalty for that. I'm gonna bear that cup for you. Jesus took that, but he also gave us this. What is this? This is his righteousness, his perfect obedience to the law. He says, in me, this is you. This is how I see you. Perfect righteousness before God. I just pray that if there's only one thing that you walk away with, if you are in Christ, you need to understand this is you. You have his righteousness. This is not a righteousness that you accomplished. This is not a righteousness that you earned. Jesus accomplished this. He earned this for you. And it's our response to him out of incredible gratitude for what he did to make us this that causes us to want to live and to follow him and say, Jesus, whatever, I want to follow you out of joy and gratitude for what it is that he accomplished for us. This whole exchange, this whole, that is upside down, friends. That is backwards. That is not how this world works. That an innocent man took my punishment. That is not how this world works. The right side up kingdom says, you get what you deserve. You get what you earn. But the upside down kingdom says, you get what he deserves. You get what he earned. Friends, we've got to let that truth wash over us. And I want to say, it, it is not about emotionalism. 
But if what Jesus did for you doesn't move you, doesn't melt your heart in some way, I wonder, do we really understand what it is that he did for us? When we really get it, friends, it melts our heart and it galvanizes our faith. It galvanizes in a way that we said, I will follow him. I don't care where he asked me to go. I will follow him. I will not follow another. And I'm afraid if you're there and you're just like, you know, I, I just, I've heard this all before. You know, no big deal. I think you might not get it. You might not get the magnitude of what Jesus did. That's why when this sermon started, not my sermon, but Jesus' sermon started, the very first thing he said is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize their desperate, desperate need for God. Like, God, I've got nothing. God, this is all I've got to offer you. Nothing, brokenness, sin, shame, guilt. That's all I've got. And realize that God is the one that can bring the righteousness that Christ provides for us. Blessed are the poor. It's not till we realize our desperate need for him that we will throw our life at his feet and say thank you and follow him out of joy and gratitude. When I think about Jesus talking about the, the religious law, this is the word that I think of. The religious law and really probably all religion, it just says this word, do. You gotta do. And if you feel like you've done, then do more, try harder. Get on the treadmill. Do everything you can to try to earn God's righteousness. That is what religion will tell you. But that is not the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a gospel righteousness. And it's not spelled D-O, but it's spelled this way. Done. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's done. It's not I tried dot, dot, dot. It's about he did, period. That's it. It's not about I do. It's about he's done. Only two letters difference. But they couldn't be further apart. And if you don't get it, we completely miss what it is that Jesus wants to do for us. We can't lose sight of this, friends. We can't lose sight of the reality that this is what God has done for us in Christ. I never get tired of talking about this. We have to remind each other. Sometimes we think that this gospel message, this gospel message is for people that have never heard about Jesus. Friends, this gospel message, it's for you and me because we need to remember that this is true. This is who we are. This is how God sees us. Because the truth is, as soon as you walk out of those doors, just like me, you're likely to forget. As you walk into life, as you walk into your own brokenness and failures, things in you are gonna be like, I just don't measure up. But God would say, you measure up because Christ measured up. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done for you. Friends, I wanna encourage you 
that we would have conversations regularly that would remind us the magnitude of what God has done for us. Can I ask you to commit to do a couple of things today, to move toward the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about? Would you have a couple conversations this week? And the first conversation that I want you to have that I think will help us move toward a heart righteousness before God, would you have a conversation with God himself? And just ask him, God, you see everything. You know everything. You made me righteous. But is there anything inside my cup right now that is keeping me from following you and experiencing you? And the way I do this, and this works for me, you may have another way to do this, but I just have my journal and I just start to write down anything that God brings to my mind. And I just think, God, I wanna turn from those things and I wanna follow you. Can I ask you to have a second conversation this week? Would you be willing to talk to another person? Talk to another person about the things that are happening in your heart, the things that you want God to develop and change in you. Because here's what's true. It's as we spend time with people reminding each other of the gospel and reminding each other of those things inside of us that need to be changed, that we actually are transformed from the inside out. It needs to be a safe person, a person that you trust. But we want to move and become people that actually live out this reality, that we live lives with the roof off in our relationship with God because we know that he sees everything inside but we also live lives with the walls down. We allow other people to see in and see what's there. We're honest about the things that are happening inside of us. Friends, I need this every day. I need people to remind me every day. Friday morning, I sat down and hung out with guys that I meet with regularly, and I was a mess, an absolute mess. And I had men that sat around with me as I talked about the things that were in my heart. It was emotional for me. I was embarrassed to talk about the things that were happening there. I couldn't even hardly talk. There were tears in my eyes. I, we were at Starbucks and I kind of looked up. There was a guy at the table behind me and his eyes were like this, like, is that guy gonna be okay? But I had the opportunity to just let people see into my life and had them remind me who I was. Remind me who I was. Remind me that this is who Christ made me to be. And it changed everything for me that day. When I walked in with a heavy spirit, I walked out with a light spirit just because people reminded me of this truth. Friends, we've got to remind each other of the magnitude of what it is that Jesus did for us and who that makes us. I wanna just ask you to set your things aside I want to just ask the Lord to speak into your life. Would you begin a conversation with him right now, asking him, God, is there anything in my life that you want to shine the light on? And would you ask him, God, who would be that person that I would live my life with the walls down and share about the things that are happening in the deep places of my life? God, when I just honestly reflect on what it is that you've done for us in Christ. Honestly, I just want to say I don't feel like thank you covers it. But I'm going to say it, God, thank you. Thank you that you did that for us. Thank you that you don't leave us hanging out here on a treadmill 
trying to do more, try harder to please you. But in your son, you gave us the way to become his righteousness. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to be the sin bearer, that you were willing to be the priest, the mediator, and the sacrifice for me. Thank you. God, thank you that you put your spirit in us, that you give us a new heart. You take away our stony heart. God, would you help us learn to follow you, learn to follow your ways as we depend upon you and trust in you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.